0: I'm delighted to speak to Michael Smith, author of Iceman, the story of that intrepid Antarctic explorer, Tom Crean. Uh, You're very welcome, Michael. Nice to talk to you.
1: Very nice to be here.
0: Uh, Michael, um, what inspired you to write this book in the first place? Uh,
1: Two things, really, I think, were the inspiration behind it. The first one is that I've always had an interest in polar exploration and the history of it. as, As a child, I'd read a few books and uh, just got to read it. And funnily enough, if you were to pick up old books about Captain Scott and Ernest Shackleton, you'll see all the way through those books the name Tom Crean.
0: Right. Okay. Propping,
1: yeah. Yeah. Popping up, I should yeah. say. And um, genuinely, I as I got a bit older, I began to collect a few Antarctic books, and I thought, oh, I'd love to read about this fellow Tom Crean. He sounds very interesting because right. he's involved in all the great episodes. And so, of course, when I looked, there wasn't a book. Um, and so that's when I thought, um, why don't you get off your small but perfectly formed backside and do it yourself? <laughs> so, more or less, that's that's yeah. um, that's what I did. But I was inspired uh, as, at the same time. I mean, a that it hadn't been done before, but B was also that um, history in schools is understandably is tends to be written about kings and queens and lords and ladies and yeah. generals yeah. and admirals and guys like that. Yeah. And I wanted to tell the story of. Antarctic exploration, which is a dramatic and mm. inspiring story, I wanted to tell that story through the eyes of a very ordinary man, and they don't come much more ordinary yes, than Tom Crean. Absolutely. Yeah. So those were the two real major inspirations for me.
0: Michael, your 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 name, Michael Smith. Um, we had a, a government minister by that name uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, what Irish connections uh, have you? I, have you any? Well, the name
1: Smith is, is not much of a giveaway for the Irish Connection, but I yeah. can actually tell you that uh, my mother was Irish, who's from uh, County Roscommon, a place called Ballahedrine. Ballahedrine, so yes. I'm probably yeah. uh, better qualified than half of Martin O'Neill's team. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the granny rule or the mother's rule, yeah, and
1: exactly. Yeah, I don't have to. I don't have to go down those roads. So, yeah. so I, it's, yes, it's, I do have uh, mm, quite a strong Irish. Right. So
0: thing. I'm intrigued that that initially your interest in the whole topic was from the point of view and of Antarctic ex- exploration. But Very do much. You, so. do, you, do you think your Irish link sort of prompted you to explore the Irish connection, or was it just just by just it happened that that you had an Irish connection? I
1: think it was happened. Start to, yeah. to be honest. The book is essentially about an explorer who happens to be Irish. OK. And right. his life is, in a, in a way, it's topped and tailed by Ireland. He's, mm. he's born in Ireland. He then goes off to the Antarctic for almost two decades.
0: That's correct. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. And, of course, comes back to Ireland and lives and has a family and eventually dies in Ireland. So the story isn't so much about an Irishman mm. as about an yes. explorer. Yes, oh, good point. But I do think point. there's a very, very important point to make here. it it is almost impossible to believe today. But if you go back 10 or 15 years, almost nobody in Ireland had ever heard of Tom Crean. He he wasn't, Mm -hmm. apart from, obviously, his family. uh, But almost nobody knew about him. And I can tell you, to illustrate that point, I can tell you something which I haven't told very many people. But um, when my book first came out, I got a, um, a, a letter from the Dublin Courts of Justice Oh. From uh, a, a lord, uh, sorry, a, um, a judge in the Dublin Courts of Justice, um, who said that his son had given him the book and he'd pretty much read it in one sitting. Right. Well, I won't, I won't name him in no. case I need a friend in later life. Exactly. But um, <laughs> uh, he, uh, he said to me in this rather long and very personal letter that he felt ashamed to call himself an Irishman not to have known about okay. Tom Crean, yeah. and when you think that a high court judge would be a very sophisticated well educated well read man and this would be typical of of Ireland a, a yeah. man of, of that sort of ah. uh, well read cultured nature i had never heard of tom Green. right and well, so no. that's why i think in a sense ireland has hijacked tom Green in yeah. the nicest sense of the word right <laughs>
0: actually one of my questions later on and i'll take it up now perhaps michael is that um, you you alluded to this in the book about this question of that he Tom Crean rarely, if ever, spoke about his exploits. Now, uh, obviously, he was uh, he was he seemed to be, despite being an ex- extremely um, strong willed um, and 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 powerful man in every sense, he was a very modest man. That came across to me, um, and like like all great yeah. leaders, he he wasn't a man to to shout and 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 uh, preach about himself, but. Do you, you do refer to in the book about at a at, at particular time there was an, a, a Republican national fervour, he was in the British Navy. Do you think that that Im- impacted on the fact that he didn't, didn't talk about it or was it naturally modesty or both do you think?
1: It's a combination of both. It's difficult to be precise mm. but I think that the prevailing uh, political climate in Ireland. Yes, was, was The most overriding <laughs> yeah, factor. He yeah. was most certainly a very modest man, and he, and he was not someone who ever banged his own drum. And you know, when you look at some of the things that he did, and the comments he made afterwards, uh, you know, he saved a man's life once by by walking 35 miles on his own without any food or shelter in the Antarctic. Yeah. When somebody, when I asked about it, he said, oh, my long legs did the trick. Right, okay, that's now, very that good, yeah. A bit more than that, but yeah. but that was his modesty. I mean, that, that's, I that's... To get back to the, the mm. central theme, I do think that the the, the prevailing political climate in Ireland, um, you have to remember that Crean retired uh, from the Navy after 27 years. Yes in the british navy now during that time ireland this he started in the navy in 1893 mm-hmm. um, and so for the next 27 years he was paid by the british navy but actually didn't do an awful lot of navy work because he was quite clearly down in the antarctic yeah. but nonetheless when he came back to kerry particularly as you all know kerry history better than i do um a real stronghold republican stronghold and always has been and and i think that uh, uh, we do know that his brother was a policeman in the RIC, and he was shot dead uh, a month after Tom came back from oh. uh, after retiring okay. from the navy.
0: I didn't know that. No. So,
1: what happened is that okay, he, he yeah. took a um, he took the best you know the best part of valor really was to keep his head down right. both metaphorically and mm. physically. Yeah, and so he he decided that he would never speak to anybody. And uh, ah right, you know, okay. You think about it today in today's sort of media-driven ah. <laughs> world. Sheepers, yeah. He would be on the late show every week. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah, because uh, I'm, he would be in the uh, yeah. newspapers every weekend. I understand fully, but the result out. is that he never spoke to a soul about right. anything, not even his family.
0: Okay, that's uh, yeah, and that came across gently from your book. Also, did I mean I'm from Cork originally, and I understand oh. there the, the was there the was a very strong feeling at the time. But the the, the ironic thing is that there was always a very strong link with people serving in the British Army and British Navy in those days. And, and on the one hand, that was considered as a job and, and OK, and, and yet you had this Republican fervour. So it was a very, a very unusual mix um, at that
1: time. Well, it was a very curious uh, time, mm. um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm certainly not here to, um, to justify either side, but you know, one has to bear in mind that something in the region of 300,000 Irishmen yeah, yeah, yeah. served in the British uh, forces during yeah. the First World War, of which Tom Crean was one. You Absolutely. know, because when he came out of the Antarctic yeah. in 1916, he went straight down to Castletown Beer, and began serving in um, uh, uh, in the Navy. Uh, patrolling the southern waters, and, off just off the Irish coast. And so, people forget you know, that. Castle, he was just, he yeah. was just another sailor.
0: Sure. And I mean, people forget that Castletown Bear Harbour is a deep port and was a very important strategic port for, for, for uh, sailing ships in those days. Can we just. Go, we go back again, uh, Michael, please, to uh, the, 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 what drove you to, to write the book. <coughs> Excuse <Yeah>. me. <coughs> you, uh, it, it was published in, in 2003. Given the plethora of, of general books about it, did it take you long to research it?
1: Well, you have to remember that the Iceman book is an adaptation for younger readers mm. of the full adult biography mm. which is called An Unsung Hero. Yes. And An Unsung Hero came out in the year two thousand. Now that took me um three years to research and write. Right because okay. because Tom Crean wasn't an educated man, he had a very, very poor education. Um, he didn't write a diary, he didn't write many letters, and and we now know because of the political situation that he never gave a single interview to anybody. Mm. So it, it, is, it sounds like a cliché, but Tom Crean took his story to the grave.
0: Yeah. Actually, uh, that very point was picked up by a number of the pupils that he had a very poor, let's call it formal education, and left school very early. And the boys actually picked this up themselves and they were saying... Uh, Lots of the young lads. You know, these were between maybe ten and twelve. Uh, they were very astute because one or two of them, the brighter guy, said, "Aren't we very lucky to, give, to be given the opportunity for further education?" So that point you made in your book was picked up by the the, the, the youngsters. Which it's is, a very important yeah. point as
1: well, actually, because mm. you see that the the current generation of of school children um, uh, it's not just luck. I mean, luckily we live in a in a civilized country, uh, and the the point being that. Um, if you go to school and and, uh do your studies, you can do anything you want in life. You know, within reason. Mm. Uh you you can you know, if you want to be a spaceman, go off and be a spaceman. If you want to be an accountant, well go off and be an accountant. You can do what you want. In Tom Crean's day in the late Victorian era, there was no education. What that meant was he had no choices.
0: And also he came from... He the farm, yeah, but I mean, there was he nine could, children. He could join the Navy. Yeah, I mean, there was no big family in those days if you weren't the, the eldest son or whatever. There was no... You had to move out. It was as simple as that, you know? Exactly. He yeah. was
1: one of ten, and he wasn't the eldest, and therefore it um, he wasn't going to inherit the farm. Sure. And so his choices were very, very, very limited because yeah. of his very poor education. Yeah. So it's a really important point for, and for the today's one, generation yeah, The think
0: The thing that the boys picked up, and I certainly picked up because I, I was presenting the programme with them, was that the despite the lack of education, his, his natural attributes as a, as a character and came across. Uh, what, do, what do you think were his main attributes?
1: I think that um, uh, you hit on a very important point, um, in my view anyway. Um, Tom Crean's great strength wasn't just that he was a big, strong lad, and he yes. certainly was a big, strong lad uh, for his time, a muscular character. But what Tom Crean had, which is much more important, was the mental strength. Yes. Psychologically, he was never beaten. And it's interesting, and I'm not casting any aspersions on these men, but it's interesting that the men that died in in lots of these expeditions were very often university-educated or officer-class men. Um, And yet here's Tom, with virtually no education you Mm. can speak of, who survives in these rigours. And it was that, that mental strength. And I think if you were to go to any of today's modern adventurers, you know, guys who climb Mount Everest and walk across the Antarctic, those sorts of people, you ask them what's needed most, and they'll all say it's the mental, mental strength. strength. It's what's between the ears is more important than the muscles.
0: I mean, the, 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 again, the, the, to, to highlight that in terms of the two examples of his uh, prowess in that regard was the one you've already mentioned, the final trek Getting back to base camp, um, on the way back from uh, Scott going off, you know this journey he made, thirty-five miles in eighteen hours with no gear, and in the book says yep. he had three biscuits and two pieces of chocolate, having already trekked what is it fourteen hundred miles over four months, and and pulling Lieutenant Evans for the last two hundred miles, you know. So, I mean, for for just I, I was what really struck me, and the boys in fact were actually were, were, I was trying to paint this extra picture with them and I got them to actually lift things and pull things or whatever to give an idea of it. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing at the end of that big trek to walk 35 miles in dreadful conditions in 18 hours. It's just, it's, it's just unmanageable. It's amazing. Well,
1: I think one, one um, thing that I, I, I do quite a lot of um, talks in schools to, to children um, about this, and the the point I make in a, in a kind of fairly heavy-handed way, but it's it's worth doing it, I believe, is that if you uh, you're based in Dublin, I correct. Yeah. If you were to walk fifteen hundred miles from Dublin, it would get you to Moscow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and kind of everybody knows yeah. roughly where Dublin is, and everybody knows roughly where where Moscow is. Yeah, very nice. And then having done that. You're going to walk 35 miles, which I guess would get you down to, um, I don't know, Abbey Leaks or something like that. Yeah, Yeah.
0: extraordinary. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other one that um, comes across in the book, very forcibly to me, was after that horrific um, uh, boat trip in the James Caird, isn't it it was called, I think it was? When the, the
1: James the, Care, yeah.
0: When the three boys, Shackleton, Worsley and Crean, landed on the island after being blown off and so on, the boat gets damaged, so they had to trek across the mountain. Now, one of the things that really struck me, and I was telling the boys this, that the mountain they had to cross was four and a half thousand feet high. If you consider our highest mountain in Ireland is in Kerry, which is three and a half thousand feet high. So, so I, was, I was trying to tell them an extra thousand feet with no equipment, in dreadful conditions. And what the, re- the real thing that came across to me was the point you made was they did that in um, 36 hours, I think, I think you say in the book. That's but right. Yeah. The, a modern army team who, who tried to retrace that took 14 days.
1: Yeah, it's I mean, to be fair to the to the modern guys, they were doing other things, but nonetheless, the no, no, but I mean, okay, it, I
0: get yeah, but the idea yeah, is that I mean, you could good. say a day and a half compared to you know, it just goes to show the incredible type of people there were. I mean, it's absolutely horrific.
1: The, the, again, one has to come back to the mental strength mm. because the three men who made that that crossing—Tom Crean, Shackleton, and Frank Worsley, the navigator—were yeah. were all men of phenomenal mental resilience mm. they never gave up um and uh, nothing defeated them and you know you have those wonderful stories of making the the, the james Caird open boat journey with oh, yeah, um, a, in a hurricane and tom Creen is at the tiller singing that's <laughs> you know, right yeah, in yeah, some yeah. respects that sounds rather trite but on the other hand if you're terrified for your life and one of your colleagues has got a big, broad grin and he's got his right. pipe going and he's singing tunes, I'd say that would be quite a reassuring. I, the, the,
0: and the other thing was when they were hit with the, 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 the huge wave that nearly swamped the ship, I could just imagine him saying, OK, guys, let's bail it out and just get on with it, you know? So yeah, it, it, yeah it, just it,
1: get on with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and India. also knowing, knowing um, one of Crean's great strengths as well was he knew how far to push himself.
0: Oh, interesting he, point. He, he okay. never
1: took unnecessary risks. He was not somebody who was full, full hardy, hardy when yeah, okay. charging head first against a brick wall. You right. know, he he knew how far he knew his his own capacity for doing things, and that is, a t- you know, you can't be taught that. That's that's an in, 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 innate uh, uh, characteristic. Absolutely,
0: that's a very good point. Just going back to the um, the Scott expedition when Scott picked the, the men to go for the final push. Tom yeah. Crean was not selected, and I'm sure he was absolutely heartbroken. Um, he was. He was in tears. He was in tears, yeah. Isn't it extraordinary to think that because he wasn't picked, if he was, it was unlikely that he would have survived, By a, it would seem, given the fact of no food. Uh, it's,
1: I'm not ducking the question, but it is anybody's guess. Mm. That, but the thing that I said in, in my book about it was that... that we know that the Captain Scott and his four comrades very sadly died, mm. and Tom Crean made very much the same journey, and he survived.
0: Okay, good point, taken. yeah. And it's interesting also when they, when they when they were getting back down through the glacier and so on, they they found the food dumps all the time, you know, which is a, a very interesting in terms of navigation and so on. But it's very sad. I mean, the, the Scott image of I mean, he sometimes he's painted as a bit foolhardy, isn't he? In, in some in some uh, publications. Um, it's sorry. You know, Scott is. Scott is. Yes. 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 He, yeah. th- that's the impression I picked up from some some publications. Um,
1: yes, I think he. Uh, one of Scott's problems was that um, uh, he he didn't delegate very well and he didn't consult his men. So he yes. took everything on his own shoulders and kept it all to himself. And and he wouldn't tell them what they were doing until five minutes before oh, right, they were doing okay, it. Right. Right. So yeah. he was a, he was quite a difficult yeah. um, character. Uh, quite yeah. a difficult man to work with.
0: Yeah yeah very interesting, okay, in terms of um pulling it all together back to the, the the boys that we were dealing with, what lessons do you think the boys between ten and, and twelve years of age could draw from your book the Iceman? Man
1: um, I think that the most important thing about um, uh, Tom Crean is he is an inspiration if you think that his start in life is so modest mm. and deprived really Um, and yet he went on to achieve great things and I think he is an example to anybody and I literally mean anybody, Mm. he is an example to anybody who if they put their mind to it can achieve anything they want and I don't think you have to be super educated good looking uh, or whatever to do anything and I think this applies as much to girls as it does to boys, you can go on and do anything you want and I think Tom Crean is an extraordinary example of what ordinary people can achieve. And like I go nice. back to my point about history being written about kings and queens mm. and lords and ladies. Um, uh, Tom is a very ordinary man who did extraordinary things.
0: Very good. That's a very good summary, yeah, because that's the message I was saying to the boys about about don't give up at the same time you have to at some stages you have to make a decision that sometimes you may have to stop doing something and that's different to not giving up if you understand what again again. But this 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 drive within him to complete the task, that's the big thing that that I personally picked up out of out, out of your book, which I read in one go, in one sitting, uh, in uh, preparing for the programme and I went back and studied it and I wrote out all my notes and I was I was going through them again last night and your story, Michael, really Brings to life for young people, as you said, they're an extraordinary man from an ordinary background, and I think that's that's the epitaph that I would like to um, remember Tom Crean.
1: He is an yeah. inspiration. He really yeah. is. And if I could just tell you one story, um, uh, you think I'm making this up, but I bumped into someone the other day who um, had read the Tom Crean book. This is in England, yes. um, and therefore would have you know none of the attachments that we would have. And and I said, what did you think of the book? And she said, you had me in tears. Right, okay. yeah, okay. And that's what I call, that moves, you know, any, if you can mm. if you can do things that move people, um, and I think Tom Crean is, is, the Tom Crean story is one that does move people. And this was a woman who was completely, I've never met her before. Right. And she would have no, no, you know, no connections with Ireland or anything like mm. that. And she said, I was moved to tears.
0: And it certainly moved me too. One, by the way, and a sort of a funny sort of a note, when I was uh, discussing with the boys uh, about the food and the rations that the guys were eating on the ice, you know, they were, they were fascinated with this thing of, of hoosh, you know, the mixture of the pemmican and the, yeah. and the various things. And I was saying, OK, what are you going to have for your lunch today? And they were saying, well, I have a sandwich and I have a bit of fruit and I have this and so on. Now I said, just imagine that we're going to make up this, this, this concoction and we have this in our cup and we have this every day for every meal, for four months, <laughs> and they were they were, yeah. they were saying, "Oh my. So, and they, they, they were really taken by that of how difficult it must be to survive in conditions with that sort of that sort of food. So, there's certainly aspects of the book that really brought home to the boys what sort of men they were and what wonderful people they, they were. Yeah. So, Michael, I, I I could talk to you for hours. You know, it's it's a fascinating <laughs> topic. But unfortunately, we have to wrap it up. Uh, I've, it's been great pleasure talking to Michael Smith, author of Iceman, the story of the, the uh, Antarctic explorer from Kerry, Tom Crean. Uh, before we finish up, um, Michael, what projects are you working on, anything at the moment?
1: Um, I'm not at the moment. I've been very much involved with my latest book, which is a biography of Ernest Shackleton. Oh, really? That's okay. It's recently uh, appeared, uh, and that's, that's been keeping me busy. And okay. uh, I've literally just come back from from uh, Ireland, where I was speaking at the National Library in Dublin.
0: Oh, very good. And tell me, just here we go again. This is a bit like the Irish uh, finishing a story, and there's there's more bits and pieces come out at the end. There's of it. always more. Exactly. In terms of the two main characters, in terms of the leaders Scott and Shackleton, you know, how different or how near, or what you know, what sort of characters do you think they were, and how did they differ?
1: They were chalk and cheese as characters. As Scott was a very um, uh, formal man, did everything by the book, and he was quite insecure, and therefore that's one of the reasons why he kept things to himself and didn't delegate very well. Oh, right. He was okay. rather unsure with people. Those who knew him loved him, but, but he was quite a difficult man to get along with. Okay. And uh, he, as I say, he did everything by the book, but one has to remember that... Um, He'd been sent off to naval college when he was 13, so he knew yeah. nothing else. He That's spent right, his, yeah. all his life, yeah. effectively at sea. Um, Shackleton, on the other hand, came from a very loving, uh, warm family and um, was a, an adventurer at heart. And but also, and most important, was that he worked in the merchant navy, and the merchant navy was much, much more informal, yes, it pure is. Yeah. rules yeah. and regulations, okay. and. Shackledon was a man who was at his best when he was called upon to improvise. Ah. And also he did delegate, whereas Scott did everything by the book. Shackledon right. was a man who could change his mind. And, and funnily enough, Shackledon was a very cautious man. One thinks he was being rather a, a yeah. sort of cavalier character. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he wasn't really. He was, he was actually quite cautious. and um, he, But he was somebody who would change his mind in the circumstances oh you know, very good change, I changed my mind
0: exactly he can adapt yeah. that's what he did yeah one of the things uh, you, you, that comes out of your book also my, uh, Michael was that um, Scott wouldn't use dogs or was disinclined to use dogs because he didn't like them whereas um, the, the Norwegian Abbotten was a great believer in dogs and
1: as a result well both know, both yeah. Scott and Shackleton never came to terms with dogs that
0: because oh Shackleton well, also interesting I mean, if you look okay. at Sorry, uh, Shackleton. I didn't realise Shackleton was wasn't a
1: Shackleton was just as bad as as Scott ah. with dogs. They had no grasp of dogs to, for two reasons. I mean, one is that um, uh, in Scott's case, he'd been at at navy Correct. school yeah, from the yeah, age yeah, of thirteen. Yeah. Uh, he wouldn't have seen an animal apart from when he went ashore. Yeah, uh, so he you know he wouldn't have even had a dog as a pet at home. Yeah. And and I think it's very important is that in countries like Ireland and and in Britain. We see dogs as pets. Correct. We Where see them it? as lap dogs.
0: Yeah. Whereas in Scandinavia, the, northern the, Scandinavia, the, the yeah. Norwegians
1: mm. were brought up to use dogs yeah. as uh, working animals, yeah. and so they they were there to to pull sledges. And you have this awful statistic. It's a, but, but true. You see, when Amundsen beat Scott to the South Pole in 1911, he travelled over very much the same. Yes. Uh, terrain, terrain yeah. anyway, slightly different, but yeah. over much the different same route, yeah, 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 As Scott, Scott pulled his own sledges. Amundsen took dogs, yeah. and we know that when Scott died, he died of a combination of things, including starvation. Yeah. Okay. When Amundsen got back, he had put on weight. <sighs> wow. That, what, what a, what which a, is telling. a terrible yeah. um, indictment of yeah. the inability to use dogs.
0: And I think the other point, that the, the, the theory that when they brought the ponies from Anchuria, assuming because they came from that, uh, that area, they would cope with the with, uh, uh, temperatures of the Antarctic, but, you know, absolutely a waste of time in the, in the end.
1: Well, so, the ponies, ponies in the ice are, are not a good idea no, exactly, for two yeah. reasons. One is that they're very big and obviously, mm. they, you know, their weight, they would sink into the Correct. soft snow. So they were kind of up to their bellies in soft snow, which yeah. is an awful torment for them. But even more important is, it, 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 you know, if you think about it, there are no fields in the Antarctic. Correct. Food is a big issue. You can't issue, put yeah. your pony yeah. out to graze when you've yeah. had a day's work. And so you had to carry the pony food. Correct. Colossal weight. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, finally, rather, the uh, the ponies that they bought came from the Northern Hemisphere. They uh, were now in the Southern Hemisphere, right, where okay. the where the calendar is sort so, of turned pony. upside down in our sense. So in the winter they were shedding their coat oh, no. in yeah, the summer yeah, yeah. when they needed to yeah, okay. remove that. I didn't realise that. Yeah, very good.
0: Very good point. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Michael, as I said, I could talk to you for for hours and hours. It's a fascinating topic. Um so ladies and gentlemen, we're going to finish this chat with Michael Smith, the author of uh, of Tom Crean's story and the Antarctic, um the Iceman. And it has been a great pleasure, a personal great pleasure, Michael, to speak to you. And I thank you very much for the time you've given to us in Near FM. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.